the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. Hour number two is underway now. Thanks for being with us. Nine minutes after 10 o'clock on this Thursday, the 30th and final morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Appreciate you being here. Jack Windsor going to join us at uh, 1035, talk about what happened at the State House yesterday. Uh, the Republicans still cannot get out, get out of their own way as it pertains to protecting people from discrimination if they choose to make a less than popular choice about how to deal with COVID-19 involving their own body. Uh, so Jack Windsor at nine thirty, or excuse me, at ten thirty-five. Right now, let's bring in our regular Thursday guest for commentary, Doctor Everett Piper, back with us. He is a columnist for the Washington Times. He's a best-selling author. Author. He's a radio uh, podcast host in Oklahoma, and he is a past university president as well. Doctor Piper, good morning. Good to have you back. Good morning, Bob. Great to be on. Always good to talk to you. So, Dr. Piper, um, I'm going to go a little bit out of order. Normally, you and I talk about uh, your column, your weekly piece in the uh, Washington Times uh, first, but I'm going to go a little bit out of order here, and I'm going to defer to your rage, and I'm going to allow you to attack this story uh, the way that it deserves to be attacked. And I'm talking about the rage. I've already told everybody about your uh, suspension from Facebook for daring to bring science to a discuss- discussion of science and, uh, and medicine and, uh, and, and, and infection and so forth. Uh, apparently, when you bring science that Mark Zuckerberg and his minions disagree with, that's, that automatically becomes misinformation not science, and the misinformer, in this case you, you lose your spot in uh, in Facebook's good graces. Tell us more. Well, let's talk about this, Bob, in the context of history. George Santayana, the philosopher, told us that he who doesn't learn the lessons of history is doomed to repeat them. And we know that's true. If you don't learn the lessons of the past, you're doomed to continue to make 
the same mistakes. In fact, it's been said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Same commentary, same point. So in that context, let's talk about the cultural revolution of Red China and the Red Guard that rose up and squashed dissent. A bunch of know-nothing college-age kids were empowered by Mao Zedong to take over the country and to silence anybody who did not have the standard worldview, to punish anybody who thought differently, who said anything out of order. They punished the intellectuals. If you had eyeglasses, that was a sign of being intelligent and being somehow empowered and privileged, and therefore they would embarrass you. We've all seen the uh, historic photos of teachers standing on a soapbox, if you will, being forced to wear a dunce cap and apologize for their privilege. Now, I ask this question. Does all of that sound familiar? Does it kind of smack of the exact same thing we're experiencing in our culture today, the cancel, cancel culture, the snowflake rebellion, and this Orwellian censorship that is now befalling all of us? I've been canceled twice now in the last two to three weeks because I did nothing other than post articles that were about science. I was canceled once from Facebook for talking about natural immunity. Oh, my land, how, how could you possibly suggest that natural immunity is a good thing and a scientific fact? I'm not kidding. They banned me for doing nothing but publishing an article about natural immunity. And just two days ago, I was banned again because I posted an article that uses CDC data and the data out of Great Britain, which shows that Anthony Fauci is lying about this being a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It's not. He keeps going on the television and on ABC and CBS and NBC and saying that 1%, only 1% of those people that are being hospitalized for COVID-19 Delta variant are vaccinated. That's not true. The CDC data says it's 13%. And even that number doesn't include those that have had one vaccine rather than two. So the numbers that have been vaccinated are greater than what Fauci is telling us. But when I point that out, I'm banned. I get a notice from Facebook saying that I'm guilty of misinformation and that no one can see my post. This is Orwellian. This is the Ministry of Truth. This is Mao's cultural revolution. This is some blue-haired 24-year-old fact-checker in some back room at Facebook who has a nose ring telling you and me what we can say and what we can't say and calling their lies truth while they suggest that our scientific facts are misinformation. And don't get me started on this word misinformation. Call it what it is. It's either true or it's false. It's either right or it's wrong. The word misinformation in and of itself is an Orwellian postmodern construct, which means nothing. This is political well, power. It has nothing to do with the pursuit of science. If, um, if they don't use misinformation, they're going to just say that you are posting lies. And that's the, the, the bottom line here. You're posting CDC data. You're posting other scientific research data and saying, this is what this shows. This shows this about the number of people who are vaccinated who are in hospitals, the number of vaccinated who have been infected, blah, blah, blah. Here is actual data or data. 
Um, and the reality is they don't want to see that because they don't believe in real science. Dr. Piper, you know as well as I do that science yearns to be tested. Science yearns. That's why they have peer-reviewed studies, because everything has to be peer-reviewed by people with a very, very cynical point of view about what you think you just proved. The whole point is, this is what our study showed. This is what your study showed. Let's keep studying. Let's learn from this and see what we can come up with. They don't want real science, Dr. Piper. They want to shut you up for bringing science that they don't agree with in. They believe it to be false science because it doesn't go with their, you said the word, political agenda so true and in the context of all the stuff that you and i just said keep in mind that i think it was two weeks ago or less a poll showed a national poll showed that 23 percent of american college students think violence is acceptable in silencing somebody with the wrong ideas 23 percent of college students let's just round it up and say a quarter 25 percent a quarter of all college students think it's okay to use violence to silence what you and i are saying right now and nearly 60 percent of college-age students think it's okay to use censorship to silence unpopular views again mao's cultural revolution a bunch of know-nothing 25-year-olds telling everybody else in the world what they can say and what they can't say. That's not science. That is Orwellian control. That's a ministry of truth rather than honoring the truth. In my book, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth, I talk about what happens when a culture no longer has a truth with a capital T, a true north that governs the affairs of man, it will do nothing but implode upon itself and become a society of power and politics rather than scientific principles. And the last thing I'll say about this, Dr. Piper, and I'm looking at uh, you know the, the, the notice you got saying that you're suspended because, quote, your post goes against our community standards on misinformation that could cause physical harm. Your post could physically harm someone, they are saying. As absurd as that sounds, Dr. Piper, this isn't coming just from Mark Zuckerberg. The point I want to make here, and that I think everybody needs to know, is the big tech oligarchs are working hand-in-hand in concert with big government, with Joe Biden's administration, with Democrats on Capitol Hill who have been pushing them to do more to silence the Dr. Pipers of the world, or moreover, to silence medical doctors, silence medical researchers, silence those who are coming up with conclusions that challenge the orthodoxy of the Dr. Fauci, you know, of Dr. Fauci and his, uh, and his politically, uh, uh, you know, political ilk. Um, this is being done with the, the approval and really at the behest of the government. No question. And again, lessons of history. Let's end this conversation right now by reminding everybody what happened to those Red Guard college students in Mao's Red China. After Mao used them to suppress his opposition, what did Mao do with those hundreds of thousands of college students? He didn't honor them. He sent them out to the rice paddies, and he forced them to live in poverty. In other words, Be careful what you wish for, because if you're going to overthrow a constitutional republic like the United States of America with your power, be careful, because that monster you just created is going to come back and bite you. It's going to have your head at the end of the day.
Dr. Everett Piper is our guest. We'll take our time out here. We'll come back, and we're going to talk a little bit about burning the churches, not figuratively, but literally. Why is it so in vogue right now to hate the church, and what will the outcome be? Dr. Piper wrote about it, and we'll talk about it next, AM 1420 Weeks. free WHK mobile app and listen to your favorite WHK programs or podcasts on the go. It's free in your app store. Okay, 1021. Now we'll continue with Dr. Everett Piper on AM 1420. The answer, Dr. Piper is a weekly columnist, as noted, for the Washington Times. His article usually appears at the Washington Times website on Sundays. And Dr. Piper hating the church, um, literally hating it enough to destroy it, to attack it, and all of its symbolism as well. What You write, obviously, about the evils of that, and you uh, proclaim that uh, they will not win, those who are trying to tear down the church. First of all, why is it in vogue now to hate the Catholic Church or the Christian Church? Well, I, um, I think it's always been in vogue to hate the Church, and I cite that in the article. Um, I start out, as you know, by citing uh, the United States uh, Council for Catholic Bishops. I think that's yeah. um, the title of it. That um, they've issued Conference. a report recently that shows that 93 churches, these are Catholic churches, have suffered arson and vandalism. Cemeteries uh, being destroyed, American flags being left in the cemeteries next to be decapitated statues that, that are burned, the burnt statues burned and the flags burned, all this vandalism. All of this vice, all of this vitriol and, and, and anger directed toward the Church. Um, so the question is, why? Well, it's because Satan hates the Church, and those that have abandoned God are going to hate the Church. And if a culture is holding government up as being higher and more important than God, then they're going to hate the Church, because the Church is the body of Christ. But as I say in the article, you know, this isn't the first time in history You know, St. Paul admonished the Church of Rome, the Church of Jerusalem, the Church of Galatia, to do what? In the face of all of this persecution that the first century Church suffered, do good. He told all of those churches, persist in doing good, be the body of Christ. In fact, Jesus himself told us in the Gospel of Matthew that let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and give glory to God, your Father, in heaven. So what is the solution to this mess that we find ourselves in right now? Do good. Do what Jesus told us to do. Let our light shine. Do good. Be salt to a rotting culture. Be a light to the darkness of the world. Do what what St. Paul told us to do. Do good. The Church has been the solution to these problems for the millennia. We've established orphanages. We've established hospitals. We started colleges and universities. We rescued infants from the practice of what was called exposure, where the Romans would throw unwanted infants in the garbage heap and let them die. It was the Church. It was Christians. It was the body of Christ that went into those garbage dumps in Rome and rescued these children and gave them dignity and saved their lives and saved their souls. It's the Church that has given us the freedom that we enjoy today as a free people in our culture and in our nation, the Church will not lose. You can take the promises of Jesus Christ to the bank, and he promised us that the gates of hell will not prevail against his Church. We know the end of the story. We win. 
So we need to enter into this cultural war recognizing that the body of Christ has a charge, and that charge is to do the good work of the gospel, and we know that we will prevail. I love the end of your story, too, in addition to the end of the story. Maybe a little heat is actually a good thing. In fact, talking about burning our buildings, in fact, it's been said that history shows when the church sets itself on fire by doing good, the world will come from miles around just to watch us burn and then give glory to our Father who is in heaven. I love the way you close that, Dr. Piper. Um, we've got time here to hit our third topic, and I'm glad, um, because I know how you feel about this the same way that I do. Um, we, we cannot entrust the education of our children, the building of our children's character, which is, you know, a, a large part of growing up. We cannot entrust this to public school teachers teaching in public school buildings um, and teaching a public school message that may or may not actually, um, you know, jive with our own personal values that we want to instill in our children. And all of this kind of came to a head uh, somewhat yesterday uh, in the uh, in the. Uh, Governor's debate between Terry McAuliffe uh, in uh, Virginia and um, why am I blanking on uh, uh, his opponent's name, the Republican that I support for crying out loud? I'm I wish I could help you. I'm, yeah, I'm, well, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to find the audio clip at the same time that I'm talking to you because I had it pulled up and now it seems to be lost. But at any rate, uh, Terry McAuliffe is who we're focusing on here because what Terry McAuliffe said was uh, that parents should not be in charge of of telling schools what to teach that the teachers should uh should be the ones let me play this for you veto books glenn not to be knowledge about it also take them off the shelves and i'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books out and make their own decision you vetoed it so yeah you stopped the bill that i don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach Okay, it's Glenn Youngkin. He said Glenn there, and that's what it reminded me. Glenn Youngkin uh, pointed out in this debate that Terry McAuliffe, the Democrat candidate, vetoed a bill that would have allowed parents to go in there and petition the schools to remove books that are sexually graphic in nature. And they used some examples, and I'm telling you, Dr. Piper, are beyond. I mean, it's worse than any penthouse story that any 15-year-old kid, uh, you know, pre, uh, you know, puberty-stricken uh, kid uh, could ever could ever imagine. Some very, very graphic things. And Terry McAuliffe vetoed the parents' right to uh, petition the school to remove those books uh, and and take them away from the kids, you know, so they don't have access to them. And the challenge there, you just heard it. At the end of the day, Terry McAuliffe, and this is what people on the left believe. I don't want parents coming in here and telling teachers how to teach their kids. It is so antithetical to the process of education, as far as I'm concerned, Dr. Piper. It's, um, it, it's, it's so extreme, it's hard to put into words, but I'm going to ask you to do just that. Okay, the bottom line is this. Uh, Bob, I, I firmly believe the only solution to this mess that we find ourselves in culturally and educationally is school choice. We have to demand, demand, excuse me, I'll say it one more time. We must demand that we, the parents, have the authority to teach our kids what we want them to be taught, to live as responsible, moral adults. That's our job. God has charged us, first and foremost, with that job, to give that authority away and give it to somebody else who disagrees with everything we believe is asinine. It's insane. We should never let that happen. The only solution is school choice, because we must get our kids back. Otherwise, they're going to be taught this nonsense, everything that makes no sense, rather than the truth. You know, I, I get that. Um, 
But there's not enough room for every kid. If every parent did want to yank their kid from a public school and put them in a different school and have it paid for uh, and have school choice, there's not enough room for those schools. Eventually, they become public schools as well. And more importantly, there are a lot of parents who simply just don't have the desire, the drive, or maybe the uh, the ability to put them in a different school. The school bus comes and picks them up and takes them to their public school. We have to do more than just say get the kids out of those schools. We have to fix those schools. We have to fix the attitude that Terry McAuliffe exemplified there in, in, in that, Hey, you just sit there in your, you know, in your in your uh, ignorance, parents, and leave this to the professionals, to the elites, to the highly educated. We know what we're doing. We will teach our kids what needs being taught. You need to step to the side and let us do what what's right by them. I, I agree with you, and we can take control of the school boards and whatnot, and enforce enforce our authority on those people that work for us. We're paying for them through our taxes. But we must recognize that we have to save our kids from this monster of public education that we've created. We should just say, teach our kids how to count and read. We'll be happy. Don't teach them anything else. Stop the nonsense. Just teach them how to count. That's all we expect. Yeah, and, and, and how to treat other people fairly, how to treat other people dignity and respect, which is, of course, the other thing that uh, we have to battle against because with CRT, it teaches them to hate one another. It teaches them to judge one another by their skin color. Dr. Piper, I'll let you go there. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, sir. Blessings. All right, 1030, we'll get to the news now. We'll come right back on AM 1420, The Answer. America, a wake-up call, courtesy of the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Always better to be awake than woke. Make no mistake about that. 1035, thanks again to our guests thus far. Terrific commentary by Dr. Everett Piper. Spoke with Adam Waldeck of 1776 Action. Now we bring our good friend Jack Windsor back on the airwaves with us. Jack is, of course... Our State House correspondent uh, covering uh, the State House for AM 1420, The Answer, but he is also the editor in chief and founder of the Ohio Press Network. Jack, good morning. Bob, good morning. It's an honor to be here with you and the AM uh, 1420 family. Thank you for uh, choosing me this morning. Yes, sir. Thank you for the coverage down there of uh, this, this just chaotic mess. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, the Biden administration said, we're going to show you what the definition of chaos is with their uh, with their Afghanistan evacuation and withdrawal of troops. Nobody can create chaos quite like us. And then Ohio Republican Party leaders in the uh, in the uh, General Assembly looked at Biden and said, hold our freaking beers. You don't know what <laughs> chaos is. You don't know what chaos is until you see us try to do something to protect the, peop- the people of Ohio from mandatory vaccination and to protect them from discrimination if they don't accept mandatory vaccination and mandatory masking, etc. What an absolute mess the, the, the Republican Party in Columbus, Ohio is. What happened yesterday? They, they, they decide they were behind 248. They let it yeah. languish, 
and sit there in committee for about pretty much most of the entire summer. Then they decide this week to scrap it entirely, and they come up with something called House Bill 435. They fast-track that out of committee and and, and have it targeted for a vote on the floor yesterday, and then they scrap it there as well. They shut down Mm -hmm. discussion. Jack, I mean, I, I have never seen a body as, as, as just completely disjointed and disorganized and, and, and fighting against itself like the Republican Party in the state of Ohio. I don't get it. What can you, what can you, can you make some sense of this for us? Well, I'll start at the end in what happened yesterday. We can kind of talk about 248 if you want and 435, but all speculation points to disgruntled and concerned citizens calling their reps. Uh, before they went into caucus yesterday to voice their concerns that the protections in House Bill 435, which is the bill that was fast-tracked the day before, didn't go far enough. Now, sources tell me a few things happened. By the time House reps met in the Republican caucus, 35 of 64 Republicans were not in favor of bringing House Bill 435 to the floor for a vote, some on procedural grounds, others because they opposed the language. Simply put, though, Bob Cup who worked with Representative Rick Carfagna and Bill Seitz to create the bill, didn't have the votes. And so according to one rep who he asked to remain anonymous for fear of blowback, of course, said that leaders were, quote, shocked yesterday at the backlash. And so then I had to ask, how are they so disconnected from constituents and their fellow lawmakers? And his text back to me was simply, I better not put it in writing. So, um, what happens after yesterday? Four thirty-five goes back to. By, what's by the way, the just if I may, just that yeah. alone underscored what I just said. I mean, that, yep. that, that is that is extraordinarily important. What you just said, they were shocked that they didn't have the votes. Uh, they were shocked that some people didn't agree with the language. And when asked what in the world, how are you so disconnected from one another uh, on the hill on, on the, the hill, the, you know, the, the, in the general assembly. Uh, and and the constituents, and I better not put it. Away. They just literally are admitting they don't. I hate to be so so incredibly insulting, but they don't know what in the living hell they're doing. They don't know what they're doing as it compa- uh, as it pertains to what their constituents want and what one another wants. I I've never seen it, Jack, because it's a supermajority. They have a supermajority, and they ought to be able to get things done and get the dumb, get them done right uh, with with a veto proof majority on one of these bills to protect the America or the uh, people of Ohio from mandates that could cost them their their jobs, et cetera, et cetera. The kids, their places on college campuses to fight back against those things ought to be the easiest thing in the world when you have the majority that they do. And I'm just disgusted with how pathetic they wield their power how pathetically they wield their power i'm sorry go on no no don't apologize it it is stunning because you know the day before that bill came out of the house health committee by an 11 to 3 vote 435 and so then you look at it the next day and go well okay um 35 lawmakers didn't want it to go to vote so it, it seems like they had a pulse on what was going on in the health committee but they didn't have an understanding of how fellow lawmakers on the right side of the aisle were feeling and thinking about this piece of legislation that they decided to strike. Now, with all due respect to them, perhaps voters called in or prospective voters and constituents called in yesterday in such large numbers that it, it really you know, shook 35 people. I doubt that to be the case, though. I could be wrong. 
but um, it, there definitely seems to be a disconnect. And so, you know, here's what's going to happen. This thing's going to go back into what's called the Rules and Reference Committee, and a note there that that committee is chaired by Bob Cup, and that includes Representatives Carfani and Sites, who drafted the bill. And I talked with um, my state rep, Chris Jordan of Ostrander, last night. He said that the bill will either be reassigned to the Health Committee, that's the committee that it passed out of, uh, quickly, or it's possible that it would get assigned to the Economic and Workforce Development Committee or Commerce and Labor Committee. Interestingly, the Workforce Development Committee is chaired by Republican Jay Edwards and it has members like Jenna Powell, John Cross, and Jennifer Gross. And um, Jordan felt that there were, those folks would be more favorable to amending the bill. And according to Representative Jordan, he said the only thing that would really have to be done to make uh, House Bill 248 work for many of those who objected to it um, would be to include COVID-specific language. So now, obviously, that's not 248 that's back in the committee. But you know, the the big talk is about well, why can't we just do some stuff to make 435 more like 248 and make it work? One other interesting wrinkle I want to mention, and then maybe we want to get into the bills. Well, but, don't do that um, yet. Don't do that yet. Uh, save your wrinkle because uh, I know where you're going with that, Jack. Um, I, I, I don't know that our listeners know specifically the difference between differences between 248 and 435. We should do that because we spent a lot of time. I've had Jennifer Gross on the program three different times talking about 248 at various points during the legislative cycle. So I think most people know what 248 is, the anti-mandate uh, and anti-discrimination bill. But but yeah. what is 35, 435 rather, that Bob Cup and... Uh, um, uh, who are the other two that you mentioned uh, co- who uh, drafted uh, it? Representatives Rick Carfania and, uh, and, and Bill Sykes. Sykes. Got it. So, yep. so tell people so, specifically what 435 is in relation to 248. All right. So to try to do it in a nutshell, because there's a lot there. Um, 435, obviously the one that was fast-tracked um, out of the Health Committee, um, it was pitched as a bill that would allow employees of companies mandating COVID vaccination to file for medical, natural immunity, or religious and philosophical exemptions, as well as students. However, exemptions for students kindergarten through 12th grade on almost all those same grounds, with the exception being natural immunity, those exemptions already exist in the Ohio Revised Code. And most colleges, by the way, that are now requiring the jab already offer those exemptions as well. And for workers of businesses, that to me seems to be the, the crux of it, right? Because after the, the Biden executive order that said, hey, if you have a 100 or more employees, um, we're going to mandate this. And you know, small companies may be doing the same thing. But for workers of businesses um, that require the shots, only those who are already employed by their employer at the effective date of the bill would be able to apply for the exemption. So people hired after the effective date could be required to get vaccinated, as well as people who transfer jobs without having the right to an exemption. And, and the language actually codifies vaccine mandates for employers. Now, ultimately, the bill uh, is des- it's not designed to be emergency legislation, so it wouldn't go in effect until January 1st, 2022, even if it passed quickly. So I talked to Maurice Thompson about that. He's a constitutional rights lawyer in Ohio. And in an interview, he said House Bill 435 would have little to no impact since deadlines for all known school and employment vaccination requirements are prior to 2022. And we've heard that, right? Schools want it done by October, November, maybe December, and and certain workforces are saying, hey, this needs to be done in October, November. Well, this bill misses the boat there. And so Thompson went on to say that 435 is either well-intentioned, 
that poorly drafted or ill-intentioned and drafted to deceive and is currently drafted. There's little reason for those who are pro-choice on COVID vaccinations to support the bill. So little reason for those who are pro-choice to support the bill, and yet nobody will support 248. Yeah, I mean, it lost, it seemed like, when Jennifer Gross uh, and they and they filed the discharge position back earlier this month to, to try to force a, a House vote, uh, didn't, didn't, didn't they come up about 43 votes short or 43 signatures short to make that happen? Yes. So there are, um, as of my last check, there are seven signatures, so far short of that 50 that would be required in order to, Move the bill out of committee onto the House. So they didn't like it. So, so by, by and large, they just didn't like 248 and what it said. Uh, and so they came up with their own version of it, which is 435, which is quite frankly just a shell of what, what 248 was. And so conservatives are not going to be happy with this for all of the reasons you laid out and many of the things that Maurice Thompson talked about. Now, Jack, let's get to your wrinkle. Uh, their, yeah. their, their, their attempt to try to make this a little bit more desirable or palatable for conservatives. Yeah, so three sources inside the state house have all said they heard speculation, and I want to I want to emphasize that it's speculation yesterday that House leaders may include in House Bill 435 critical race theory language, CRT language, from bills that are already drafted in order to make 435 more attractive to conservative Republicans, and then of course point fingers back if those conservative Republicans don't vote for the measure. Now, speculation, of course, um, and not fact, but interest, an interesting wrinkle nonetheless. And, and to be clear, it's, it's anti-critical race theory language. It's not language that would, that, would, that would mandate or allow critical race theory, but in order to make it palatable for conservative Republicans, it would be something that says you can't teach that in, 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 uh, in Ohio schools. Exactly. Thank you for clarifying. I, I always kind of make that assumption, and that's a silly assumption, but yes, it would be anti-critical race theory. I think one of the bills is Diane Grendel's, and it, it ties critical race theory to a violation of the uh, 1964 Civil Rights Act, um, which it, 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 when you read the bill, it clearly is. So yes, they're going to try to lace critical, anti-critical race theory language into the bill uh, to try to push it across the finish line. So 435 then goes back to the Rules and Reference Committee. It may end up in a couple of different places, as you pointed out. What's your prediction where it goes, and then what happens once it gets there? I mean, it already got passed out of one by an overwhelming 11-3 to vote, uh, you know, to, to, to get out of the Health Committee. So what, so it goes into, uh, you know, what is it, Economic Workforce Development or Workforce Development? Uh, yeah. What happens there? So let's say they, they, they bring it there. Are they going to rewrite it in, the, in those committees, in one of those committees, and then resubmit? I would think two things. One, you know, proponents numbered about 1,350 Ohioans that presented written and in-person testimony to 248. Now, I know 435 is different, but this is the same type of movement. And that's, that's a lot of people. Those are a lot of folks who feel like they want choice. And I think that the, the legislators are hearing them. So I think this goes back into committee. I would be surprised if it, if it didn't go back into the health committee. And so what I think will happen is it'll go into the health committee. It will now probably receive some hearings um, and they'll tinker with it. I really don't know what direction it'll go. But, um, you know, again, talking with Maurice Thompson, he said, you know, if this is going to be effective, language has to be amended to make sure um, that it's retroactive or immediately put in place. 
and that a claim for an exemption is self-executing so that if I say, hey, I'm claiming an exemption, I automatically get it, that new employees are entitled to exemptions, that healthcare workers are entitled to exemptions, and that Ohio courthouses are prohibiting from requiring vaccine passports for visitors. All of those things need to be put in for it to be you know, effectual and have teeth. I don't know that that's going to get done. One, uh, one lawmaker spoke to me again on the condition of anonymity, said, I think what's going to happen is they're going to go, eh, you know, we tried. We tried, but we just couldn't get it through. Um, I hope that's not the case um, for all those folks who have um, worked tirelessly to try to get some legislation across the line for people who want to have a choice without being discriminated against. Well, but, one of the other things they're going to have to re- rewrite or tinker with, as you say, is the fact that it sunsets in two years, right? As exi- as written, 435 ended in 2023 anyway. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So it'll go into effect after all of these mandate uh, um, goal lines are, are, are gone, and then, it, and, then, and then it disappears in 2023. And so, you know, that's the other piece, right? Like, if this is a good piece of legislation, why sunset it? If it's such a good bill, why not keep it on the books and then right. force future General Assemblies to do something about it if they have a better solution or, you know, a situation that warrants it to change? That's another head-scratcher. Well, I'm going to go on the record, Jack, and you said, you know, you're certainly hopeful that it isn't the case, but I'm going to go on the record and predict that it is the case, that nothing will get done, that what you said at the end, they'll say, well, we gave it a shot. We did our best. We uh, we considered two different bills, and we couldn't come to an agreement. So, you know, whatever happens, happens. We're going to leave it up to the companies to do whatever they want to their employees. We're going to leave it up to the schools to do whatever they want to their students, uh, and, you know, in particularly colleges, uh, and, and allowing people on campus and that's it, because we couldn't come to a consensus. And then you know what I hope happens after that? I hope every one of their rhino red asses gets voted right the hell out of Columbus. I apologize for the language, but that's what I hope happens, because I think they're ineffective, they're ineffectual, and they're, quite frankly, pathetic. They are masquerading as conservative Republicans to try to get votes in this in this overwhelmingly red state most of the time, and then they go up there and they have absolutely nothing uh, to show for the, for the, for their, uh, you know, for their majorities. Your, your sentiment isn't uh, solo. We receive a lot of feedback from readers in the form of direct messages, emails, and phone calls. And there are a lot of people who understand how you feel, and they feel the same way. Jack Windsor, Ohio State House reporter for AM 1420, The Answer, and founder and editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. Jack, Jack please uh, keep us posted. Uh, you don't have to come on just once a week. If you've got new news for us to share tomorrow, by all means, give me a call, and let's get that out there, okay? Absolutely. Bob, I always appreciate it. God bless you and thank Thank you. Thank you, Jack Windsor. I appreciate it. I'm so sick and tired of Ohio Republicans. You know what they just did? Ohio Republicans, and particularly in the leadership in the Ohio General Assembly, you just made me have to go to confession now. Thanks a lot, losers. We'll be right back. WHK mobile app and listen to your favorite WHK programs or podcasts on the go. It's free in your app store. Okay, 1056. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks to Jack Windsor for ter- terrific information from the State House. I wish he hadn't joined us, though. Now i got to go to confession, like I said. Public profanity like that is not, uh, is not okay. 
I, I I'll tell you what though. I'm I know that I speak on behalf of 11.7 million Ohio. Why? Well, that's not true. Because uh, you know a good number of them are Democrats who probably love this chaos uh, and love the fact that. Um, People's rights are stripped from them based on the laws the way they are now, and that we can't get get ourselves together to pass a law to fix that. So they probably would like it. But how about this? How about probably we'll say seven million out of the eleven point seven million Ohioans probably agree with me and share my frustration. Uh, it is just inconceivable to me that we have such a massive majority and can't do anything along with it. By the way, I want to go back to something I talked about with uh, Dr. Piper in closing the show today. We talked about Terry McAuliffe, the um, gubernatorial candidate and former governor in Virginia. Uh, during his debate, uh, this was actually Tuesday night, not yesterday. This is actually Tuesday night. Terry McAuliffe, in his debate, uh, declared that parents shouldn't have a say in what their kids learn, learn or are taught in schools. Veto books, Glenn, not to be knowledge about it, also take them off the shelves. And I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually you take books out and make their own decision. You vetoed it. So, yeah, I stopped the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. Glenn. Glenn Youngkin, of course, called out McAuliffe for uh, vetoing a bill that would uh, allow parents to petition the schools to remove books that are extraordinarily inappropriate for children. Just that simple. It, it, it should be commonsensible. What it should also be commonsensible that we don't even need parents to do that. That teachers and educators and administrators themselves would recognize what's inappropriate for school children and what isn't, and take those out. But since they won't, the parents do have to step in. And Terry McAuliffe said, no, we don't want to hear from parents. We'll do it our way because we're smart, we're educated, we're the ones with the degrees and with the certifications, and you rubes uh, you know, at home, uh, you don't get a say in this. Well, did Terry McAuliffe regret that statement, which went viral during their debate? Apparently not, because last night he doubled down on it on CBS. Do you think parents should have a say in the curriculum? Listen, we have a board of ed working with the local school boards to determine the curriculum for our schools. You don't want parents coming in in every different school jurisdiction. The anger in his voice, by the way, is striking to me. If you listen, Do you think parents should have a say in the curriculum? Listen, we have a board of ed working with the local school boards to determine the curriculum for our schools. We have a board of ed that works with the local school board to determine the curriculum for our schools. We don't want parents coming in here. Hey, uh, hey, Terry, you pathetic little weasel. Most school board members are parents. What makes them smarter than parents who aren't on the board? Nothing. It's insanity. And we will fight it. We'll fight it down there in Virginia. We'll fight it here, here in Ohio. And we will win because our future depends on it. Thanks, everybody, for a great show. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Enjoy We're on a free-for-all Friday. See you then. Bye-bye. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.